Thanks, Daniel. I've never been introduced as fabulous and magical before. <laughs> it was the first time. Thank you, um, everyone, for having us here this morning. And um, it's great to be up here. And, and all the guys from Seacoast send their greetings as well to you. And, um, you know, I, I just thought maybe, maybe we could have been in, just got in the building um, by the time we came up here. But, you know, never mind. That's to be. And actually... When I thought about it, I thought it's probably more appropriate that, uh, that Alan and Jackie, you know, lead you guys into the, into the new place where you'll be, which is really exciting. And, you know, there, there are a lot of things to celebrate and uh, to look forward to. So um, it's really interesting, I think, that what I believe God's saying to us at the start of this new year, and I know we're kind of well into um, January now, but um, I don't believe God's speaking, well, to me anyway, into to us about you know what we're going to be doing this year. I, don't, I really don't feel it's the importance is not on all the New Year's resolutions that we're going to make and we're going to do this and achieve that. Um, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is saying this year, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming in 2018? And out of your becoming, then what are you building um, for, for God's kingdom and for the generations that are coming after you. You know, there's a, a well-known Christian um, writer and theologian by the name of David Willard, and uh, he says this. He says, The most important thing about a man is not what he does, it's who he becomes. And, you know, isn't what I do important? Well, of course, it's very important uh, what we do, but it's not the most important thing. And the reason is everything that we do in life and anything that we build that has eternal value and, and significance is going to flow out of who we are. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And, uh, you know, who you are becoming is something that you will carry with you into eternity. It's about becoming the person that he intended you to be. Becoming stronger, becoming wiser, becoming more courageous, more loving, you know, entering into a deeper place in your journey with Jesus because, and, and then, you know, out of that place, you know, becoming more secure. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I believe that revelation of the price that was paid for our souls needs to become a part of who we are. We, we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus, not with silver or gold, not with anything material, um, but with the blood of Christ. And if such a great price was paid for us to redeem us, then what might we become if we truly grasp how much our Father loves us? Life is meant to be lived from the inside out, um, from, from the revelation of who we really are. I think it's sad, you know, when people try and, you know, put scaffolding around their life that looks good on the outside and all the achievements and successes and everything else, and when on the inside, you know, it's, there's, there's an emptiness. Um, I think God's calling us to, to really become who we, who we are meant to be. There are, um, so I, I was trying to think, you know, in the Bible, who is, who's a good example of, of someone 
in that becoming, you know, that's, that's becoming everything that, that the Father wanted him to be. And I, I couldn't go past David, King David. And there are a lot of things that we can learn about being and about becoming from David's life. David ended up becoming the greatest king of Israel. He, he um, accomplished incredible things uh, to serve God and, and in building the, the nation of Israel. But in the beginning of, of that journey um, and on what led to David's great achievements is much more subtle. And we can learn so much from David's character, even from his downfall. When David was still a young teenager, God saw him. God knew him. God had already established a, a plan and purpose for his life. But that plan and purpose came as the fruit of the young man that David was becoming, uh, even in those early years, as he, as he became who, who God has called him to be. And our young people, you know, they need to know that even though they may be young in age and that society may have limited expectations and thinking about who they are, we as the church need to make sure we don't place any limits on them. And, and you know, even in their, in their useful season of life, I'm talking a little bit about generations this morning as well. We need to lift up our young people and, and, and say to them, if you have Christ in your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, then you have the potential to become anything that you desire because your desires will, will match up with God's desires if you're in that place with him. So getting back to David's story, you know, after the disaster of Saul's attempt to lead the people of, of God as a nation, Samuel the prophet was uh, told to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint one of his sons as the next king of Israel. And we know that Samuel goes to Jesse, and Jesse lines up all his sons in front of them. And when Samuel looks at Jesse's first son, Eliab, uh, his eldest, he thinks, well, this has to be the one. And uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but, but the Lord looks at the heart. And of course Samuel goes on, then through all the sons of Jesse standing before him, and God says, no, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. And in 1 Samuel 16, 11, it says, And Samuel said to Jesse, are all, the, are all the young men here? And I want to pause right now and suggest that this question is speaking prophetically to us as the church and, and in our generation. Are all the young men here? And obviously, there are many young men and, men and women who are missing from the house of God. There are many young people who are still out in the field, just as David was. But I believe God is preparing them and is equipping them right where they are. And they are going to find themselves as part of the kingdom of God in time to come. And your sons and your daughters may very well be part of that generation that God is raising up, that we don't actually see um, with our physical eyes and experience um, at the moment. But God sees young David's heart. He sees who he is. And God will choose and use the most insignificant, the least, the one that no one else considers. And, uh, and I, want to under, I want to try and understand why. Why David? Why not Eliab? Why David? David was obviously, well, he wasn't a great success story at that stage. 
Um, he wasn't rich. He was not even yet 20. Um, outwardly, he was a, a grimy, isolated shepherd with nothing. And, um, but for God, it was all about the heart. It was all about the person, the young man that David was becoming. You see, it's all about who we are becoming. The story's not over. <laughs> David was already writing psalms. He was already, you know, perfecting his musical ability. He was already in an, in an honest and, and intimate place of relationship with his father, his heavenly father. And he was already sharing the deepest places of his heart with God. But he was also being faithful and obedient with, with the tasks that were set before him. Putting his life on, on the line to care for the, and to, to protect those sheep, those few sheep that were given to his charge. He was fighting off lions. He was fighting off bears. He was growing in strength and, and in courage. He was faithful in the little things. He chose to be the best shepherd and the best David he could be. He was proving himself to be reliable, to be trustworthy, always accountable to his, to his natural father. He was a young man of integrity. And so God saw that heart. He saw his character being developed and, and through the tough times and the difficult circumstances as well. And in fact, it was through the hard times that David's character was actually forged. The message for us here this morning is simply that we be the best person that we can be. The best husband, the best wife, son, daughter, employee, manager, volunteer, and be that person of integrity even when no one else is looking. Allow God to develop your character and build your internal life, even through the, the mundane circumstances of life. Because the other amazing thing about David is that once Samuel anointed him as the future king of Israel, because he, his time had not actually yet come to take up that role, he went straight back to the sheep, because that's what he did. That's what, that was his responsibility for then, for that time. And he was humble, he was patient, he was trusting. And again, these are attitudes that accompany our, our, our becoming the person we're meant to be. Trusting that God knows, that God will open the right door at the right time, that it will be all about God himself receiving the glory, because it's always about God, it's always about others. David was walking with God for a long time before he actually walked into his final destiny as the king of Israel. Probably the most memorable thing that was said about David, of course, is in Acts 13. and It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. A man after God's own heart. A man with the attitudes that God desires to see in a man or a woman. And isn't it interesting that it includes a man who will do all my will. Obedience to God's word and his calling is paramount. In Psalm 119, David said, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also will I lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statute. It was a heart passion for, for David to follow after God and to be obedient to his word. It wasn't a duty. It wasn't a, a chore, but it, he was passionate about that. And in the whole episode with Bathsheba, he nevertheless revealed his ability to be driven to, to adultery, to manipulation and even to murder. 
And yet he also came to that place of deep repentance and sorrow. The exposure of sin broke his heart. You know, we've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But David's example encourages us. And if we truly find that place of repentance as David did, he will, we will experience God's promise of forgiveness. You know, we will never be perfect this side of heaven. But mercy and grace abound to those who truly come to God with a broken heart. And if it doesn't stop us from pursuing God, from serving him wholeheartedly, from attempting to be obedient to who he's calling us to be and to what he is calling us to build. And I could say so much more about our becoming, but I also want to include the thoughts this morning that, that um, from the person we are becoming flows the question of, well, then what are we building? What are we building for God's kingdom? And what are we building for the generations that are coming after us? Because I'm convinced, really, that God's plan is that one generation should build upon another. And I have a favorite poem that some of you ex-seacoasters have probably heard me say before, but I really wanted to share it this morning. And this is probably one of my, this is probably my favorite poem of all times. It's called The Bridge Builder. And it says, An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and grey to, to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim the sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength in building here. Your journey will end it with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? And the builder lifted his old grey head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. And I just think this is one of the most powerful poems that I've encountered. And so my question again is to us, to all of us, what bridge are we building for the next generation? I'm asking the same question of myself. I'm asking the same question of the church. What bridges are a rise church building in this generation for the next generation and beyond? And just as the old man built a bridge over a chasm, I think that we have to recognize that some of the generations that have gone before us, they have, they have failed to build bridges and in fact in some ways, have created chasms and gaps. In Isaiah 58, 12, it says, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What are the old waste places? What are the foundations of generations? What is the breach that we're called to repair? The old man in the poem, through wisdom that only probably experience and age can bring, uh, he made it across the deep chasm without too much effort. But his heart and his calling 
in life weren't just about getting himself to the other side. His heart carried with, with it the burden of the youth that was coming after him. He looked beyond himself. He wanted to support the young man on his journey to encourage him by reducing you know, the, the, the obstacles and the dangers that were before him. And so he built a bridge. You know, we've been called to run the race of life and to finish well, but not at the expense of abandoning others. We're in this race together, and if we do it right, we all win. There is a breach that has happened. What is a breach? It's a break. It's a, it's a, it's a gap. It's a, like a rupture. And we could say that sin is a breach in our relationship with God. And praise God that Jesus has come to, to, um, to bridge the gap and to heal that breach in our lives. We can have a breach in other relationships as well. But if you want to become a repairer of the breach, then start with yourself. Start with your own relationship with your Heavenly Father. What is it in your own life that brings a separation, a, a, a creates a chasm between you and God? What is it within your own life that, that tends to create misunderstanding, offence or alienation with others in your life? Unless you've reached the peak of perfection in life, and I don't know anybody here that has, I certainly haven't, then there will always be something that the Holy Spirit would love you to restore and to heal within yourself. Perhaps you could close some gaps by setting godly boundaries, healthy boundaries around your life, or perhaps spiritual walls um, around your, your, your family, your life, through prayer, perhaps even, dare I say it, through fasting. Bridges and walls might need to be built up through repentance, through forgiveness. Those two foundations of our faith, they, they keep coming up time and time again, and so they should because they are precious gifts to us that we've received through salvation. And as we place these secure shields around our lives, then it begins to bring a security and a safety to those that we stand alongside. And it provides a safe place for our youth and our young ones and our children to then come up into, to thrive and to grow. I was reading last week again about the ways of the Spartans. I don't know if you've ever read much about the Spartans, but man alive, they were a rugged race. And uh, they were a fierce, militant group. And I'm not advocating that we should become like them. But there were certain principles um, that I felt that we could glean from them as a people. You know, one of the kings of Sparta refused to build a physical wall around his city. And uh, when he was asked by others, well, where are the walls of your city? I mean, and that was the normal thing to do, was to build high walls to protect the city, keep people out. Um, when he was asked that, he said he pointed to the strong Spartan warriors, you know, with their shields and their swords in their hand. And, and, and he would say, these men... These men are the walls of this city and our land and our boundaries extend as far as the tips of their arrows can go. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, we are called, we are the walls of the church. And our influence extends as far as every one of us can reach out into our community, into the lives of others. 
But here's something new that I learned about the Spartan men. If they ever lost their shield in battle, if they, they either had to retrieve it or die trying. And um, even their mothers, their mothers would say, either come back with your shield or on it. And, um, you know, the reason is that one of the greatest defences um, as an army that they had was the fact that, they, that every man would stand shoulder to shoulder with the next one beside him and with their shields held up, shoulder to shoulder. And when they did that, there was, it created a wall that was impenetrable. But when one shield was missing, it created a breach in the wall and the enemy could take advantage of that. And it's the same with us, both men and women. We, we have our place where God has called us to stand shoulder to shoulder. The enemy only has a way in when there's a breach. And more than anything, we've been called to repair breaches and build up the old waste places of people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our main job is to cause every life to become a habitation for God. Through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lives that are in ruins are what we are called to restore. And really, we are kingdom builders. And the best way to become, to, to build the, the kingdom of God is to build it one life at a time, one moment at a time. In the gospel, Jesus speaks of building the kingdom by doing something as simple as giving someone a glass of water. He speaks of giving food to the hungry, taking in the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and, and the imprisoned. And when we do these things, we're building a testimony to the goodness of Christ. Another thing that we can build in our own life is, um, and something that blesses God and blessing, blesses others, is to build an altar of worship, that our lives become an altar of worship. And there's a pattern in the Old Testament. By the way, well done, Daniel, this morning. Awesome worship. Beautiful. There's a pattern in the Old Testament where uh, the men of God would build an altar to God and worship him at significant locations and significant seasons in their life. And what an incredible thing it would be for our lives uh, to become altars of worship. Not just a song or a worship service, but a life that actually becomes a bridge. Even you know, men and women worshipping God in who they are. And making room for others to come into that same place of worship. Lives that are dedicated and given to God. Just to be who we are. And for him to build something through our lives. Will it cost us something? Well, it should. It should cost us. I was reading again too this week. The, uh, the story when David, he, he took a census of the people and God, did, God didn't like it. And brought a curse upon um, the land. And, and David... Um, offered to go and, and well, God called him to go and offer a sacrifice. And so um, he was particularly told to go to this property, this uh, place that was owned by uh, another man called uh, Aranar. And, um, and so that when he got there, Aranar, when he heard about David's predicament and what he had to do, he said, it's all yours. It, the whole thing is all yours. The threshing floor where you're meant to do, build the altar, it's yours. The oxen, the pull the plough, Use them as a sacrifice. All the, you know, the um, all the, ti all the timber utensils around the place. Burn them, burn them to 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 use that as a, as a burnt offering. 
And uh, he was willing to give everything. And David's response was, of course, um, he said in 2 Samuel 24, No, I will, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that will, will cost me nothing. And I, I just feel that God's speaking to us about, you know, and saying it will cost you. In fact, really, it costs us our life to truly be an altar of worship for God. It costs us our life to become everything that he's called us to be and to build everything he's called us to build. You know, Aaron was willing to, to lay down everything so that an altar could be built to God. He was willing to give up his whole livelihood, everything. And um, this is the thing for us. Our whole lives are called to be an altar. Not only in our generation, but making room for the next. Our life, our lifestyle, it's all meant to be an altar of worship. But let it cost you something. Don't let just, you know, don't just worship an altar that someone else has built. We can do that. We can write on the back of other people's anointing, other people's, you know, what they've built in their lives. We should be able to come into this place or into any other place, for that matter, into our workplace. And even if there's no one there, we can worship with our lives because we've paid the price of building that relationship with God, the Father, ourselves. We've paid the price of meditating on the Word of God ourselves. We've paid the price of waiting on God to hear His voice for ourselves because this is who we have, have become. We've paid the price of building in the power of the Holy Spirit, stepping into the anointing of the Holy Spirit and building the anointing around our lives. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, as we close this morning, I want to leave you with a number of questions. What are you building for God in 2018? What bridges are you building for the next generation? What waste places are you raising up in your own life this year? What foundations of generations are you restoring? What breaches are there in the walls around your life, around the lives of those you love? How can you be a restorer of the breach? Do you have your shield held high or have you lost it in the battle? Maybe it's time to find it again. Pick it up again. Stand shoulder to shoulder with those in the army of which you are a vital soldier. And don't do it just for yourself and don't do it certainly for me or for Alan. Do it for our young people. Do it for our children. Do it for the generations. Do it for God. Let God rebuild you and restore you and, and, and reestablish you to become who you're meant to become. See your, see your life as something much bigger than just yourself. And lastly, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for standing with Alan and Jackie and with INC in running with the vision of building an incredible, spirit-filled, anointed and effective church in Lismore. And this really touches my heart. And when I say thank you, I mean it from the depth of my heart. You know, um, Seacoast Church was 
integral in establishing a rise in, in Lismore. And, and we, our hearts are still here. Our hearts are still connected. And so I want to say thank you, all of you, for what you sow in and what you give um, to this place, what you're building. You know, you're going to a new building, but it's much bigger than that. It's what you're building with, with, uh, within your generation. And of course, above everything, thank you, Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your tremendous grace towards us, us who have been saved, forgiven. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there are many questions here. Um, I believe that, Lord, you, you are asking us to search the depths of our heart. Who is it you're calling us to become? What is it you're calling us to build together? What bridges do we need to build and put in place for the generations that are coming after us? There are fair-haired youth, Lord God, coming after us, following after us. How can we build bridges for them so they don't have to perhaps face and, and conquer some of the things that we've had to deal with? Because they'll have their own. As they go forward beyond us, they'll have their own chasms to pass and breaches to deal with. But Lord, help us to fulfill our calling in our generation. Let the, the, the ones that are coming after us be able to build on top of what we have established in our generation. I pray, Lord God, that, that this word would touch each of our hearts. It would um, reverberate into the life of the church itself. You know, this is much bigger than just one person. It's, it's about us all standing shoulder to shoulder, lifting up our shields, an impenetrable wall that keeps the enemy at bay. Well, there are many images there that, that we've spoken about this morning. Uh, Lord, help us to, to see and to, to, to have a vision for who you've called us to be as a people of God, not just individuals, but as, as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, still, Lord God, it's very early days for a rise church, but you are, there is momentum, and you are leading us forward. And, um, and providing new opportunities. And, and, uh, and I just thank you, Lord. I thank you again for the hearts of these ones that are here and the ones that aren't here today but would normally be here. Lord, their hearts, Lord God, to follow after you and to do and to become everything that you've called them to become. So we give ourselves to you afresh. We thank you for your anointing, for your presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't do it. One little th- we can't do one little thing without you, Lord God. It's your presence within us and leading us forward. Uh, it's your Holy Spirit that does that work. But we give ourselves, surrender ourselves afresh this morning into that in Jesus' name. Amen.